Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Solitudes podcast. Uh, Dwayne Rollins here. Kevin Laramay joins me as always. This is the Two Solitudes, not to be mixed up with our Five Rings Women's World Cup coverage, although there will be plenty of Women's World Cup coverage in this podcast today. It'll just be Canada-focused. Uh, if you want to listen to our regular Five Rings, we'll have one coming out later today as well or tomorrow morning, one of the two. It's going to be taped today, Kevin. I'm not sure what your plans are there, but uh, lots of podcasting for us to listen to in the days ahead. But uh, today we've got Duncan Fletcher uh, from the Vocal Minority on. He's going to talk a little TFC, TFC's emergence as maybe a good team. I don't know. It's really hard to wrap your head around that one. Uh, and we'll uh, talk about Canada's men's a little bit as well. Before we do all that, Kevin Laramay, how are you today? Things are great in Montreal, better than in the stands in the Women's World Cup. Uh, great sunny day tonight. The FC Montreal is playing Louisville FC at the Stade Saputo. I'm heading over there, so if you're coming to the game, come say hello. But uh, until then, today is a, a break day, so we're not going to watch any Women's World Cup. Or we'll get prepared for tomorrow. But uh, like you say, Canada, a victory on Saturday and a... Uh, uh, a little surprising victory, but hey, we'll take the three points whenever we can. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they won. A win is a win is a win. I was on a radio station in Peterborough uh, this morning, and that's exactly how I put it. I mean, was I surprised by it? Not really, because I knew the candidates been struggling to score, but in the bottom line, it doesn't matter. They still have three points, and that pretty much guarantees them a spot in the round of 16 because there's best of third place uh, finishers in there, and I doubt they're going to get killed in their last two games and have their uh, goal diff go away. At any rate, um, but I, the other topic, and it's hard to get your head back into MLS when you have a World Cup and it's so engulfing your your attention, and it is with me, Kevin. I've been watching every game and trying to take notes, and I'm doing another job for another thing, and it's a lot, of, a lot going on, but there was MLS action this week, and Toronto, uh, it was a perfect weekend for the Canadian MLS teams. How often does that happen? Not very often at all. I think it's a rarity, actually. I remember. I remember once last year when it happened, but uh, I'd have <laughs> so to go too. back and have to go back and look. But uh, yeah, the perfect weekend and, and big wins too, all on the road. Um, Vancouver beats the Galaxy. That's never really easy. Toronto beats the D- DC United, which had in both of Vancouver and Toronto ended massive home winning streaks or undefeated streaks, I should say, for the teams they beat. And Montreal got its first road win in the twenty, yeah, in the twentieth century or something. No, it's been like uh, a September eighth, twenty thirteen. So a long, long time ago. Well, and the September eighth game was a CCL game too, was it not? Uh, no, that's uh, in twenty thirteen. I. Probably not. I couldn't remember it so, so far. I think it was against DC United at RFK, actually. Okay, maybe. Yeah, it's there haven't been a lot of road wins for for any of them. So, TFC's road win, by the way, also matched their career, like their franchise high for road wins in a year. And we're in the beginning of June. Yeah. All right. Um, Duncan Fletcher, he joined us. Uh, we taped that interview a few minutes ago. Let's uh, take a break now, Kevin. Run that interview, then we'll come back and we'll uh, talk a little bit, Canada.
I might be too strong out on compliments. Overdosed on confidence. And welcome back to the Two Solitudes podcast. Duncan Fletcher from the Vocal Minority, uh, the Vocal Minority podcast. Uh, he joins us now to talk a little TFC, a little MLS, and maybe we'll touch on the Women's World Cup at the end. How are you doing today, Duncan? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Good. Let's start with, with Toronto FC and their resurgence of lately. How much of it is genuinely TFC figuring themselves out, and how much of, the, of it is just one player playing out of his head, Duncan? Um, it's definitely a bit of both, but you know, I think there definitely does need to be uh, credit given to Greg Vanny uh, as well. I mean, you say, yeah, it's all about Javinko. He's clearly playing very well right now. Uh, you know, that's obviously not going to last at this pace, but um, and there is the, the team as a whole, just like the last four or five games or so, is looking much better. I think a lot of that is to do with how Van is setting them up. I and mean, having Sheru as a very defined, right, you're the defensive guy and then Bradley's ahead of you, that helps. Like bringing Colin Warner in uh, ahead of Robbie Finley out on wide, you know, that's definitely helped as well, bring a more defensive balance. So now the fullbacks can get forward, uh, which is a good thing. And it's not catastrophic behind them when they do that. Bradley can get forward. Um, and yeah, it, it seems like it, it's obviously took a few games, but uh, eventually it seems right now Greg Vanny's got them in a, a formation and got the personnel out there that actually brings the best out of them. And, uh, you know, he does deserve some credit for that. That would maybe bring them to the level of you know, competent MLS team. And then, oh, you know, he's got like Javinko on fire right now. He's taking them up to, you know, winning like, three games on the trot and everything. Um, but, at the same time, you know, you, again, you can't discount that. If you're in a knife fight and you've got a gun, you know, keep using the gun until the bullets run out. So you, know, you can't even say, oh, it's all just about Javinko. Well, yeah, if he's playing well, let him do it. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And competent MLS team, that's a novelty for, for TFC fans, Duncan. And let's, let's turn to the back for a minute. I think we all understand TFC's front line's pretty pretty good maybe amongst the league's best right now but the questions are always going to be at the back and I particularly want to talk about Konopka he seems to have taken over the number one position how much has that played a role in the in the improved defensive play or, or am I maybe reading too much into it um it's difficult to say really I mean it may be just a, a coincidence I mean I think as I obviously what I was mentioning before that the midfield shape is now something that's much better and seems to work much better for the defence. It may be just coincidence that Konopka has been uh, on the pitch during that time. Um, obviously, you, know, you look at the, the last game against DC, he had a couple of uh, very bad moments. And I think, you know, for now, you may as well go with what's working and stick with that rather than go straight back to Bendik. But, um, yeah, and defensively, it is going well. It's like Zavaleta as well. He's someone that's come in and... Oh, you know, he's looked very good back there, and um, you know the the fullbacks, even like having with Morrow on the right, Morgan on the left, that's looked you know, very good the last uh, few days as well. So you know, a lot of things have gone right. I think Kanopka, you know, he, um, you know, it's not that different from Ben Yukrell. I mean, I think he's he can save a lot of shots. He's uh, sort of doing that sort of thing. So uh, I think you can keep going with him while he is there. With Toronto's great run the last couple of games, it coincided with the fact that Josie Altador is injured. Is it a coincidence, Duncan, or is it a case of uh, a team not being forced to feed a designated player? Um, 
I think there may be something to that. I think that Luke Moore is definitely more of a uh, sort of straight up. He's good at like, holding the ball up and maybe bringing other players in. Was you know Altidore is more uh, like dangerous, like obviously just specifically himself. But I think he definitely does like to you know drift more over uh, to the sides and like, attack the defence from out wide. Um, so I mean there may well be something to that that you know having Luke Moore. I mean, a more sort of basic centre-forward uh, role and then just allowing Javinko to be roaming about all over the place from the sides uh, has helped. So, obviously, when he's fit, Altidore is going to be coming back in the team. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, but, yeah, how uh, would be interesting to see if you know, exactly what they do with Altidore uh, and Javinko because more and Javinko has worked very, very well these last few games. If we're looking at Javinko, he's been more implicated directly with the ball the last couple of days. What tactical change did Greg Vanny do, or just maybe a, a setup change to the team to implicate Javinko more with the ball so he can uh, outperform the other player with his skill level that's higher? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that is as much to do anything with the the change of the formation there. I mean, at the start of the season, it was like three players up front. Um, you know, obviously with Robbie Finley there as well as uh, Altidore, and you know maybe going back to the, just the, the two up front does you know, that enables you know, there's not as many people in an, in the sense getting in Javinko's way. I mean he's attacking from the left side, from the right side. You know he is very much uh, all over the place, and yeah, I think just this, this team's set up better behind him. There's a more like the basic team shape is more sort of defensive and. In a way, just more basic, really. So, uh, you know, that is something that you know is allowing that sort of one very special player. Like the time, you know, he's getting more of the ball because there's not as many players up front. He's getting more space to do stuff with. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I think that is something that's uh, Greg Vanny has done that's contributed to Javinko being able to look really good over the last few uh, the last few games. Uh, Duncan, I, I, it's mostly been a positive season, which is weird for TFC fans to wrap their heads around. But there have been a few uh, concerning areas. Uh, I think the most one, the biggest concerning area for for fans, especially fans that are fans of the Canadian team as well, is the play of Jonathan Osario. Whether his form has dropped off significantly. Uh, what is your take on on Oso so far this year? And and do you think he's a, it's just maybe him learning a new position, or, or what do you think, Oso? Um, yeah, it is difficult to to say really. I, mean, I think this year he's been he's been okay. Um, he's you know very tidy in possession. You know, in a way he's kind of like a smart player and kind of works okay with the team. And uh, these last uh, few games, again, you know, he's always playing a bit more of a defensive role. At least you know, the, the game against DC, he was in more Michael Badley's attacking role. Um, and yeah, we we still obviously haven't seen like the sort of thing we saw from him in 2013 when, you know, he was playing a more attacking role and like, regularly scoring goals and looking more of an, an exciting player. Um, but I mean, what he's done this season, he's been you know, a consistent, tidy cog in the midfield, really, which isn't in and of itself a, a bad thing. I mean, he's not been a star player by any means, but uh, he's been asked to play a role and he's been able to do that well and contribute to the team so you know any team needs those players uh, 
let's move our attention a little bit to the the rest of the league. It's, it's sort of a question that combines both TFC and the rest of the league. I think we all think that Javinko is, is, if not the MVP right now, he's got to be one of the top couple. Just who has, else has impressed you in the league this year uh, to be sort of competitive with Javinko for the best player in the league? Um, but I think... Javinko is definitely in the, the question uh, in that category of best in the league, no question uh, this year. Um, there have been a few players that have been uh, have had good streaks similar to Javinko over the last month. I mean, you know, the look at sort of March and April, Fabian Castillo in Dallas was just uh, was lighting it up. He was very good. People that have been consistent all year, uh, you look at Clint Dempsey, uh, Benny Frailheiber in Kansas, he's obviously uh, doing very well. Um, Kai Kamara as well, I think. He's, uh, Columbus have, they're very much sort of basing their attack around him, really. It's very get uh, down the wing and throw crosses in. So he's been a huge part of their uh, uh, attack since he's come back. He's got like 10 goals or so, I think. So I think you'd have him in there as well. But uh, yeah, and given, given all that, I think you look at just how many goals and assists he's gotten, how big he's been for Toronto, I think. Javinko at this stage probably would be my vote for uh, MVP so far. Let's move it. Uh, one final question. Uh, just in a general sense, uh, Women's World Cup's going on here in, in Canada, of course. How, how are you enjoying the tournament? And, and as someone who, I don't know if people have picked up at it, but Duncan's got an English accent. I don't know <laughs> if you're hearing that. Um, it's, well, what are your thoughts on the England team and, and how much interest is there on the England team in in, in England? And uh, yeah, that's a big convoluted question but you go for it Duncan um, I think well I think overall I'm quite enjoying it so far I haven't really been able to watch as much as I would like but uh, as far as England go you know, it was a disappointing performance really against France it seemed as if um, you know they weren't really sort of going for it uh, in the first half or so at least and then even after they went behind you know there was no there was, it didn't really look like there was any kind of threat they were posing. I mean, you know, we'll see how they do against uh, some of the better teams. But, uh, you know, they're, I mean, that doesn't in a way surprise me, really. I mean, you mentioned asking how is it going over in England. I think it definitely at this stage it's still, you know, a bit of a, a novelty thing. It's definitely growing uh, a lot over the last uh, like little while there. I mean, uh, I think there was like thirty or 40,000 people out for a friendly at Wembley. Uh, one of the warm-up games recently, so it's getting more exposure. Um, and I think it's obviously, you know, anything, any sport in England just gets dwarfed by the, the Premier League hype and everything. So having to compete against that doesn't help. But uh, you know, it's it's growing, and I'm uh, looking forward. I'm going to be in Montreal next week. I'm going to be seeing like, the Canada game, and then England are playing in Montreal on the Wednesday. So after that, so uh, I'm looking forward to see that. But um, I think they're probably very similar to Canada. They'll do okay. They'll grind out some results, and then they'll probably get knocked out by the first really good team that they face. All right, Duncan, uh, the Vulcan Minority and the Vulcan Minority Podcast. Uh, do you want to tell us how to listen to that? And uh, am I going to hear one this afternoon, maybe? Um, yeah, I think uh, the next uh, podcast should be coming out uh, this evening, probably. But uh, that's all at uh, www.vulcanminority.ca uh, on Twitter, obviously at. Uh, at Vocal Minority CA, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Duncan D. Fletcher. And uh, uh, yeah, I think the next podcast uh, is more than likely coming out uh, later this evening. All right, it's, great. it's unusually positive these days. It's kind of <laughs> uncomfortable, really. We don't know what to do with ourselves. Uh, fair enough. All right, Duncan, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll talk soon.
You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramay. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramay. Email twosolitudespodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Podbay, Player. Yeah, listen to the show. Now listen to us flow. Yeah, now the hospitality. That's how we do. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the Two Solitudes podcast. Grit, determination, Tim Hortons. Kevin? They were brave. They were so brave. They fought hard. And at the end of the game, they pulled off the penalty, Dwayne. Yeah, got elbowed in the head. (laughs) They took the shot. She took it. She took it and she got that penalty. Yeah. Look, um, let's start with the positive. The positive is that they won. The positive is that, yeah, and the positive is that it is now actually three three consecutive games without allowing – um, if you include the post uh, the pre-tournament games, so that is a positive. They are playing tight and not giving up many chances. Uh, that includes the game against England, which uh, you know, although England didn't put their their best lineup out, they did put it's still England and they still are a top ten team. So there were some quality players on the pitch for that game. So we shouldn't discount that. Uh, Nigeria, as we saw against Sweden, uh, they have a lot of firepower, and Canada was able to shut them out in the uh, pre-tournament game that, that was a closed-door game up at uh, the Kia Training Center in Toronto. So there, there's a couple positives there to play off of. Um, the negatives, of course, is that they still aren't really able to break teams down. They weren't able to break Nigeria down. They weren't able to break England down with the exception of one wonder goal by Sophie Schmidt. And they weren't able to break China down with the exception of a kind of borderline penalty at the end. Let's start with the penalty, Kevin. Was it a penalty? Oh, yeah, you get elbowed in the head. It's a penalty. It's a foul, and it happened to be in the box. Was it a clear goal opportunity being taken away? No, but it's a foul in the box, which is a penalty. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's black and white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would have happened a couple of feet more to to the right. It would have been outside of the penalty area and would have been just a free kick. But because it was in the foul, it's a penalty. Yeah, and so what I will say is... uh, you know, were China hard done by with that? No. Were they unlucky? Yeah. Maybe they were unlucky, yeah. And they probably deserved a point out of it. And they'd be an entirely different narrative right now if Canada had not scored, had drawn nil-nil, especially when we've seen the rest of the tournament. And I'm right now in the middle of writing an article where I'm ranking uh, all 24 teams for uh, in the for after the first round of plays, and then we've seen them all play once. So I'm you know adjusting my rankings and my expectations, and I'll tell you that Canada really they haven't changed. Uh, without spoiling the rest of the article for you, you have to go to CSN to, to read it later. Uh, I ranked Canada ninth, and it's hard to really see them much different than where they started the tournament at after that game. They haven't they haven't given us any argument to either put them higher or lower on that ranking. I have to agree with you because uh, it, it played a game and it was supposed to win on paper 
and on the pitch it won, but nothing convincingly. Like you say, they couldn't break down the opponent. Uh, not just that, I think that we didn't see that uh, offensive flair that we've seen the St. Clair on a breakaway or Sophie Schmidt in great position. We haven't really seen the biggest chances Canada had came from defenders going forward and attacking. Khadija Buchanan, which, yes, she's been a revelation last couple of years, but on this game, she showed that uh, she's really world-class and she's going to be a mainstay for the team for years to come. But I think she can contribute in this World Cup. And if it wasn't for a great save uh, by the Chinese keeper, she would have scored. Yeah, it, it, Buchanan is a... Uh absolutely has nailed down that starting center half uh, position uh, for years to come. I suspect she's very, she's not even uh, out of college yet. So, you know, you've, you've got to take some positives there. And we talk a lot about, and I, I might get into a bit of the, the 2019 talk, uh, maybe not today, but maybe next week we'll talk a bit about where Canada stands up as it relates to moving forward. Because I think that there is some concern there, especially when you watch Costa Rica really play, uh, you know, not a, I you know, jaw-dropping, eye-opening, oh-my-God game, but certainly a game that made you sit up and go, you know what, that team's coming on, and, and they're in Canada's group, and the Mexicans, they played it right, they, you know, they played, let's look at the opposition they played, I mean, clearly that's why I'm giving more credit to Costa Rica, because they played Spain, but Mexico, nonetheless, was right in there, and maybe a bad refereeing call away from from uh, from winning their game, so there certainly is no um, guarantees in CONCACAF moving forward for, for Canada. No, I think, and, and I think you're right. I think they need to adjust. Yes, they tried to change the system, but I think the automatic, the automatism, the the instinct that the players have is still to look forward and try to boot it to Saint Clair, even though they're trying to have a more possession type of focus play where small pass, keep the ball, move forward. Uh, but I think the the instincts still, uh, when it's under pressure, the instincts still come out, and you see it when you watch them play. Yeah, you know the the issue is the women's game has improved in leaps and bounds, and those those format that that tactic of long balls constantly is not going to win you a World Cup. But what it can do is win you a game individually in isolation. You see it with the U.S. too. It's they draw back into their instincts all the time to get it forward towards Wambach. Because it works for them sometimes, especially when they're like struggling a little bit in the game. I think the U.S. is going to be exposed later in the tournament when they play better opposition than they have already. And I think Canada will be exposed if they don't play better in the midfield. Sophie Schmidt needs to, uh, needs to live up to the hype that I and others, including John Herdman, have given her. I've suggested that she's amongst the best midfielders in the world. Diana Matheson's loss is huge to this team. And I think that that's one of the great things that we're seeing right now. Well, not great. One of the bad things we're seeing right now with this this streak of eight games now where they have not scored more than one goal in a game, including – and that's against some opposition where they probably should have scored more than one goal. It's If you have Matheson in that midfield, she just has that experience and that ability to see and to open the field up through her passing lanes. The and She just has the ability to break teams down a lot more than what we see – what we've seen in the last little while and what we saw against China. No, exactly. And just quick word on China too. Uh, China didn't play a bad game. China is exactly what we expected of China. A team that technically they're sound, they're young, they're not most experienced. And on duels and one-on-one play, we saw Canada overcome and win those duels because of experience, because of and they've been there before. But uh, I think China is not that bad. And still, uh, my prediction of them uh, creating an upset and coming out of the group with Canada, especially if there's 
uh, best third coming out of the group A. It's going to be interesting, but China is n- not going to lay down for anyone. Yeah. And of course, the other game, the Netherlands, as we did expect, did get the win. Although it was a little tighter than expected, so we we'll use that to segue into uh, it'd be tomorrow night's game. We're recording this uh, Thursday's game. If you're listening to this after the fact, um, New Zealand is the opposition. What should we expect against them? And it's of course John Herbin's former team. So I expect that we'll see, in many ways, a mirrored image of Canada. Just I think Canada does have higher top end talent, um, but Kevin, it's not going to be easy again. New Zealand played tight, played aggressive. Uh, you know, effectively against a talented uh, Netherlands team and held them to a 1-0. Uh, anyone who thinks that Canada is going to go into the game tomorrow night and just walk away with it, I think, I don't know, what are you watching? Do you think Canada is going to have the uh, pressure of the onus of play on them? Because we know Canada plays a little better when they're the underdog, the famous Canadian position, when they, they give the ball to the other team and just try to hit them on a counter, they have a better... Uh, Win percentage and a better uh, what sort of a better success percentage and they have better chance of creating goals. Uh, but both teams are that way. So are, is it going to be the case of both teams just giving the ball to the team and be like, okay, you go for it? I think New Zealand will sit back and Canada won't want to want to dictate play because they're at home. Yeah. Um, look, even in a, if they weren't at home, I think Canada would still have the majority of the possession against a team like New Zealand who would look at this as, as a winnable game. I suspect that if you read the Kiwi press that they would say suggest that they were the underdogs but they would have watched their first game against Canada and would have thought that it is not well to the realm of possibility that they could get a result in this game and they need a result in this game too. Canada has the advantage as we said. A win is a win is a win. They have three points in the book that probably is enough to put them through. And less results start to go really sideways and they end up getting some kind of four-way tie at three points or something. Like three points is probably going to be enough. But New Zealand, on the other hand, is is a wounded dog. They played well against Holland, but they didn't get any points. So they need something from this game. They are a team that will play rough, that will play aggressive, that will you know kick your shins and do all of the little things that Canada does as well to try and get under your skin and try and be effective in a game. And uh, I, I, it's going to be... You know, a battle of similar styles and an interesting game. And, you know, it, it's – is it a banana peel game, Kevin? Could be. Yeah, if they slip and – would a draw be disappointing? Because if they drop points, I think it would be hurtful in their aura and hype of we're coming here to win. Well, we, we are here to win. I think if Canada wins – People are still going to have the high expectation of, yeah, uh, Canada's still a favorite, in quotes, to win the tournament. But uh, if they get a draw, I think people will realize that, okay, it's not going to be that easy after all. Yeah, it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to the hardcore <laughs> watch, you know, the people that listen to this podcast for the most part that watch the women's program, you know, outside of major tournaments, I I, I don't think a, a draw would necessarily be viewed as the end of the world. Um, it depends on the, the, the Dutch result. If they were to beat China, then suddenly you're staring that you're going to need a win in Montreal to win the group as opposed to a draw. And that might you know, make people panic a little bit up here. But by and large, they sort of understand where they are. And by and large, those people understand that a quarterfinal appearance for this team is a, is a successful tournament. Um, however, if you're talking to my mom, um, <laughs> she might be surprised. She might view this as like, oh, my God, they, they were upset. Uh, they this is this is not what I've been told. Uh, this is not what uh, I've been led to expect based on the on the coverage outside of game day coverage that you're seeing on places like TSN where essentially the pom-poms have been out for a month now. No, exactly. And 
I think that's one of the we mentioned it last week in our previous show and the first show this week. But yeah, it's the hype around Canada is a little unfair to the player, in my opinion, and putting a maybe und well unjust pressure. Yes, there's still the host of a World Cup, so it comes with pressure. Uh, but I think people uh, almost thinking Canada's going to win the damn thing is putting a lot of pressure. And I think we saw that in the play too. The uh, the fact that the instincts do come back is because of the pressure and the importance of every moment on that pitch that they had in the first game. I think it explains the, the way they felt. They didn't look free on the pitch. I think, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. They didn't look like uh, liberated or playing with freedom. They, they look a little bogged down and uh, very nervous on the pitch. Yeah, and that was to be expected. Canada traditionally starts these tournaments um, poorly. Uh, so the fact that they got the result again, I, and I, I keep bringing that back up because I, I don't want to always come off as Nelly negative. Uh, I'm trying to be realistic, and, and I think that that's an important balance to some of the coverage that we're getting otherwise. But uh, at the same time, you know, three points is three points, and the draw is what it is. And there are set up that if they do play, uh, they don't have to play that much above their expectations to go pretty deep. But then again, uh, if they don't play up to their expectations, then they're not going to go pretty deep. And that's the point I've been making. Let's briefly talk about uh, your perspective on what the TV coverage has been so far. I, I think that I have two minds of it, and you have to divide the coverage between the stuff you see on SportsCenter uh, and the stuff you see on um, the actual game day uh, coverage, like Christian Jack and Claire uh, Rostad and uh, and who's the host, Jennifer Hedger. Jennifer Hedger doesn't matter so much. She's just leaving James, the other two. James Duffy as well. Yeah, these people are sort of just helping them along and pushing their way. They're they're just there as hosts. But uh, I think that that coverage has been brilliant. I think that KJ and uh, Claire I think Claire Rustad is uh, one of the most brilliant uh, soccer minds in the country, male or female. She really does bring a lot to the broadcast, and KJ as well knows his tactics inside and out. And they haven't been dumbing it down for the audience. They haven't been teaching the offside rule during the game because we're getting an international broadcast. But they're not doing stuff like that. And I think that that's really refreshing. And I really compliment CSN for that. The area I have some issue with TSN is maybe the sideline reporting and maybe the uh, the sort of pom pom stuff that we're seeing outside of game day. The uh, and I get that though. You're I'm talking about at, the Sydney Larue documentary. Well, that's another story altogether. <laughs> I think that that's just shameful that they did that at all. But but I'm talking about like their like their little docs on on the women and they're trying to make them they're they're driving a narrative and they're trying to create storylines. They're treating it like an Olympics. And from a pure sporting perspective, like where I'm coming from, those things can be so frustrating because you know that they're talking at their ass a lot and that they're overselling certain aspects of, of certain talent levels. And that can be frustrating from a sporting perspective. However, I try as best I can to step back and I always do the, my mom thing. How will my mom see this? And my mom will love this stuff. My mom would love the the like inspirational music as the old woman came out talking about how she used to play for McGill in the 50s and they tried to stop her and, and women empowerment and all that good stuff and feel good stuff. She would love that. And she doesn't care whether they're overselling the ability of you know, Canada's left midfielder, right? Like that, that doesn't matter to a certain aspect of this crowd. And when you see 1.8 million people watching Canada's opener, a lot of those one point, and, and you combine that with what normally watches a Canada game on TV. <laughs> with 1.8 thousand usually. <laughs> yeah. So it's 1.7 million of those 1.8. And I'm being a little bit maybe liberal when I say that number. No, I think you're pretty close to it though. Canada yeah. women's national team, 100,000. 
people on Sportsnet back in the day? That yeah. seems like it seems legit. Yeah, I was out for a drive yesterday, and I, I passed Bridgefront Stadium here in Toronto. And those that know where that is will know that it's not really that impressive of, of a place. And I, I just sat there and went, I want, I covered a Canadian women's national team game there a decade ago. <laughs> like, I mean, this is how far this program has gone. And that place is like metal bleachers. And I think there was like 600 people there. It was ridiculous. And we're talking about like 12, 11, 12 years ago when that game took place. So, yeah, it's come a long way. But, yeah. One like I'm saying, one point I'm getting a little off kilter, but 1.7, 1.5 maybe if you want to be really liberal, uh, really conservative I should say in the estimate are are there for the storylines and the feel goodness of it, and the, because they're they're heroes from from London. And look, if we want the sport to grow, we can't be completely dismissive of that audience, Kevin. No, for sure, for sure, we we can't. Uh, but again, it's going to be uh, uh, interesting to see if it stays that way the tv audience really surprised me i'm not gonna lie 1.8 million for canada's opener those are in the english canada those are great numbers they're like top shows in the country top rated shows like most watch shows to have that listenership so uh it's very surprising to uh get that amount on a cable channel yeah yeah well to put it in perspective the the canada's opener 1.8 million it was up against uh not completely, but it crossed over a little bit with game, I think it was game two of the Stanley Cup final. And uh, it drew, that game drew 2.1 million. So it beat it, but it didn't beat it by much. And that's kind of remarkable that they were close. The non-Canada games are averaging about 300,000, uh, which is a decent number as well. Uh, to put that in a little bit of perspective, if I looked back at the World Junior numbers from back in December and specifically at the weekday non-Canada numbers and they were about the same. So the general audience is watching on TV and that's something that, that we can draw on and maybe help grow this tournament and the excitement at the local level. Yeah, they just uh, don't we, come to the stadium in Montreal. Which is the segue that I was going for. Uh, Kevin, you're in Montreal. What the hell? <laughs> uh, the quick way I can explain this is... Uh, the certain, not lack, but the certain lack of presence in the TV, radio, and newspaper world. Montreal is a very newspaper and radio type of city. If you're doing an event, promotion, sporting event, club, whatever, if you're trying to fill up a venue in Montreal, you do need a radio presence and a newspaper presence. Yes, the radio doesn't have the same effect that it used to have, but for my dad, for people like you would say your mom for people in uh, downtown that are working that have the radio a radio is really helpful to get people to commit and come to a venue and same thing for newspaper and at the, yes it does have a presence in uh, the newspaper with ads uh, but i think it's for some reason it's been focused on canada and it, the other games have not been uh, sold as easily yesterday it was said uh, 10,000 people were in the big o it doesn't look like 10,000 because it's so spread out. It could have been, but that's what the official number was. And it is a little bit disappointing, but you have to remember, a year ago, U20s, how many people max came to those games? About 10,000. So uh, I think it's uh, the diehard crowd, and I think the mainstream crowd or the regular crowd, the sporting event crowd, hasn't come yet because there's a lot of games in Montreal and it's still the beginning of the tournament. So uh, I think we'll see an improvement in the upcoming games, uh, but it didn't start out on the right foot. 
So, so you're thinking maybe that the Montreal crowd is like the general population crowd, the crowd that made the Impact CCL game a sellout. That that crowd that filled out the rest because we see the Impact attendance week in week out. Yeah, around, around thirteen, fourteen thousand this year, which is disappointing. But that's kind of your core. Uh, was sixty thousand for a game. So that that difference there, you think that they're going to come out for the Canada games, maybe. Not maybe sixty thousand, but more and more for the France games and more for the semifinal. You, you expect yeah, that exactly. If you're looking at the CCL run, maybe as a, a blueprint, the first knockout game against Pachuca there was thirty eight thousand win, and then the game after there was thirty three. But when it was really important, when it was the game of games and the final game, well, there was fifty something thousand, so almost sixty. So I think that's the difference. I think that. The crowd will come out when it's uh, knockout time and uh, big, big games. And I think they're just, uh, it's a late crowd in Montreal. And it's not just late in sometimes in the game. Sometimes it comes late in the tournament. All right. Uh, we talked a bit before, and I'm not going to get into the, the Toronto issue before. I think it's kind of silly to not have games here. And we understand the reasons why. But it, it's, it certainly has affected some of the pre-hype, particularly on the non-rights holder broadcasting uh, networks, we'll say. Yeah. Particularly when the other main non-rights holder uh, network has hockey as its main focus and the Stanley Cup Finals going on. That, that couldn't have helped. It oh, couldn't I have thought helped. you were going to say when it dropped the CSA contract a couple of weeks ago yes it was mutually done but when your former uh, partner of the actual program as a whole is not even talking about barely your team anymore uh, it doesn't help either yeah it's uh, tsn has taken over the soccer game which i don't know whether that's good or bad we'll talk about that in future podcasts um well, it's not official yet the csa is still looking for a partnership still looking for a broadcaster yeah, well, they'll go game by game is probably what yeah. will happen there. But we'll talk a bit about that more in the men's. Uh, I was wondering, uh, the Grand Prix was this past, with the, like the F1 race was in Montreal this weekend as well. That couldn't have helped, could it have? I don't think it would have a, um, no, I don't think it has an effect because both events are sold out or the tickets are starting to be sold months, if not years in advance. So, no, the Grand Prix is something totally different. The, the Grand Prix is a Grand Prix crowd, and I don't think it's the same crowd as women's soccer, especially. Okay. Uh, a couple quick questions that based on your experience being in Montreal. You're, you work on the, you know, you talk to people a lot. You're on the front lines of, of downtown Montreal a lot, right? So is there a buzz on the street at all right now? Right now, no. Not yet. So yeah. you're not? Not hearing people asking, you're not seeing jerseys on the streets, things like that? I know. Outside of me, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to change when the Team Canada is going to be in town. I think that's where really the hype will start in Montreal when Team Canada arrives in town. I think Edmonton, we'll see if the last games in Edmonton will be the same as the first game in Montreal. Outside of the Canada hype, that's going to be important to see too. Yeah, well, we will. It'd be interesting to see what the attendance is for the second game. They, they did manage to get it close to a sellout in the first game, but there, I know that there was a huge push to get it there, and you know we'll, we'll see whether we get the same amount out on a weeknight. Um, you know, the kids are mostly out of school now. I think I, it's been a long time since I was in school, so I don't know exactly. Uh, but a couple I, weeks still. A couple weeks left. Yeah, but you. Yeah, it's June though. I remember June when I was a little kid. You just go to play baseball during the day, anyway. <laughs> What, what's, what's our math class today? Okay, you need to count the amount of rocks on the beach. Okay. <laughs> the teachers, yeah. <laughs> they check out about May 30th, so yes. Um, anyway, different topic. Uh, the the French media, I wanted to ask a little bit about that. I mean, I, we're seeing it here. TSN is, is absolutely going over out of the 
you know, they're really pushing it because I think they really want to push soccer as a platform moving forward. But uh, are you seeing the same thing in RDS? Yeah, RDS is all in. They're going all in with that tournament as well with broadcast from the stadium, a lot of, of analysts, different analysts, new addition to the team of broadcasting for the women's game. Uh, I think it's the same. I think uh, RDS has found a certain audience with soccer, maybe not the best numbers, and maybe not the numbers they would hope, especially with the Impact Games, but they do are starting to find an audience for soccer, and they have the Champions League for next year, same as TSN, so they're building that Sportsnet, Fox Soccer aura that the two other channels had before. They're trying to get that audience to TSN, and RDS is trying to do the, the French version of that, and I think they can slowly start to get that crowd they just need to start to do a, a habit of having all the games all the time and then you'll get the the crowd like uh, Sportsnet and TV Sport used to do but I think RDS is really uh, putting everything they can behind the Women's World Cup right now yeah. the the men the men's Canadian team really struggles to to find support in Montreal part of that's because uh, of a lack of uh, Quebecers on the team in the yeah, past few years exactly it's a, a lack of um Coverage as well. They're barely talked about in the Sports Center in French, or just the games are not being shown on RDS. So just that, it seems like uh, the team is forgotten about. Okay, um, I think the women, because of their Olympic exposure, are a little bit more. Uh, people are a little bit more aware there because it was on the Olympics. I would suspect is, and there's, I think there's slightly more French players on the women's team. Is there not? Yeah, there's three players from Quebec. There's Ryan Wilkinson. There is a uh, Marie. Have no, and there's Jose as well. So there's three from Quebec, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about the men before we get out of this segment. They they of course start World Cup qualifying on Thursday. Let me repeat that in case you're unaware. <laughs> the men, the Canadian men's national team, starts its World Cup qualifying on Thursday. <laughs> That's insane. Like no one's talking about that. So I'm wondering, is it a good considering how the last one ended? And I don't think we need to remind you how the last one ended. <laughs> Do we? We hate to be the one to remember. People. Oh, God. Yeah, I think that we are the ones that have been reminding you of how it ended for <laughs> a year now. But at any rate, they start back up. Um, I think it is good that they're starting now for a couple reasons because you, it, it's under the radar, first of all, which might be good. You might want them to get their feet under the ground and get going a little bit before people start paying attention at all. Um, also, I think that you know, I have this vision because they're playing – it's Dominica, I believe. Is that how you say it? I think yeah, it's actually – Yeah, Dominica. Yeah. Yeah, Dominica. I, I thought it might have had a different pronunciation on it. I'm not sure. I heard someone else say it differently today, so I was hesitating. But um, this is not a good team, Dominica. They're, they're amateur. It's an amateur team. I guess jokesters out there. Canada is a professional team. Um, they should handle this team. So I, if you have like the – that's – Let's imagine this for a second, that the Women's World Cup is on and we have 1.8 million people watching this. 1.8 million people, half of which aren't even aware that there's a men's national team program at all. <laughs> you know, it's true. 10,000 of which are obsessed and listen to this podcast and know exactly what the Canadian men's national team is. And then the rest think the Canadian men's national team is the biggest joke on earth. So that's say – that's just – you know, imagine that in the middle of this broadcast, they go, oh, by the way, the Canadian men beat Dominica 8-0 today. That's going to actually help people's perception of the Canadian men's national team. Now, the the flip side of that is... And they oh lose God. Dominica and they talk about it. It's done. What's done. Like Fold the program. 
drop the mic. We're done. We're over. We're going to stick to hockey. Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, there's no more and more to break it down. Uh, I guess the other topic we talked a lot about TV a minute ago is there's no way to watch the game on Thursday. It's not on radio. It's not on TV. Maybe a lot on of- Dominican radio and you'll have another another pastry shop commercial. Yes. We gotta run that. I'm gonna, find, I'm gonna find that bumper. It's gonna be after this. <laughs> Phillips Bakery is gonna brought. This is gonna be brought to you by Phillips Bakery. This segment. Um, yeah, that's. This, oh God. See, it's it's a joy to be a Canadian men, uh, men's national team supporter because you get all of these stories, and we know each other. All of us, literally, we all know each other. There's like 30 of us from across the country that all know each other because of, of the national team. Because of our shared pain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, heavens. Okay. No, but it's um, easier to cope when you share, Dwayne. It's easier. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a quick – I think I've told the story before, but one of my favorite Canadian men's national team following stories was uh, – I think it was 2003 because I was living out west, I believe. Uh, it was uh, – they were playing Cyprus in Cyprus and there was we were on the Voyager's board. Like you know, we were, there wasn't really Reddit and stuff like that then. It was pretty much all the communication went through over Twitter or any of those things. So all – if you want to follow the Canadian men's national team, you had to be on the Voyagers board. So it was the height of its popularity. So the, the board is full and people are like madly resetting it looking for updates and everyone's talking. Does anyone know? Do you know? Do you know? Have you found anything? Have you found anything? Because it's still internet. And there was the early days of streams but we couldn't find a stream. So I remember somebody from Cyprus, this kid from Cyprus, like literally like a teenage kid, had to come on to start to troll us a couple of days before. <laughs> and as the day went went on, he became increasingly sympathetic to the Canadian cause to the point in which he started to listen to the game on Cyprus radio, Cyprus, Cyprus radio, I don't know, whatever, in Cyprus. And was giving us updates. This kid in his bedroom in Cyprus was listening to it on a radio station and posting on the Canadian Voyagers board to tell us what was going on as it was going on. As the 30 idiots in this country – sorry, guys. I'm telling, including myself in that. Yeah, me too. We're, really, we're all there. Yeah, we're all reset, 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 getting like text updates from a kid in Cyprus. That's another one of my highlights of watching the Canadian Spence national team. And we may get to re-experience that. Uh, this year, although it'll probably be more on Twitter and Reddit and places like that nowadays. A little Voyager Sports still out there. It's just dominated by people that hate Toronto. So anyway. Um, <laughs> well, isn't that basically the entire country except Toronto? Yeah, well, one third of the country is Toronto. But <laughs> true. That's true. All right. Um, look, uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll, of course, break this down a little bit next week's show as best we can. We won't if probably we, see If we're it. able to find the game, if we're look, able to see it. I guess jokes aside, like people like want to blame the CSA for the fact it's not on TV. Well, what the hell are they supposed to do? It would cost them like – you don't even – it would – an outrageous amount of money to produce a TV broadcast to, to show it to the 30 bloody people that care. So if they do in fact get you know, Max out there with a with – a, uh, or sorry, Gavin it would be. Max is – I keep thinking – they mix Max and Gavin up all the time anyway. If they're out <laughs> – he's out there with his – his video camera, moving it on a on a tripod back and forth and giving half-assed commentary, then thank you. That's It's really more than we deserve in a lot of ways in this country. But, oh, shoot. Anyway. Anyways, we're both going to – well, I'm going to be at the game Tuesday for sure. I have a ticket. I'll be in the stands. I'll be looking at the game. So we'll be able to break it down to you on the two solitudes for the first game. Uh, for Actually, for the return game. In the ret- uh, Exactly. The first game, we don't know. Yes, and, and if it does really go the unthinkable – well, we'll be there to witness the death of Canadian <laughs> soccer. 
Oh, wow. It could be really... Now you're just setting it up for being a really disappointing Tuesday night. This is the end. <laughs> My only friend. The end. All right. Let's cut this off before I say anything else that I regret. <laughs> All right. Canadian Review after the break. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast. Welcome back to the Canadian Review. A uh, quick note before we get in. Uh, I did mention, mean to mention this in the Canada, but it got a little long. We got a little giddy at the end there. Uh, <laughs> the 2026 bidding, it was announced this morning by FIFA that they are, they quote unquote suspended it. Uh, that they basically they're going to postpone the, well, we don't know exactly. And that's why it's, I can't really go into depth right now. My, my reading of what I saw was that they were going to probably push it back a little bit because in, in light of what's happening now that they made, you know, there's a possibility that they may have to make a revote on 1822. We've talked a lot in depth about uh, how I feel that might be a problem, but alas, that's something that's, that is actually staring them in the face right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see and we'll continue to follow that, but it is certainly something that affects Canada is that the 2026 uh, World Cup bids, at least of right now, have been quote-unquote suspended. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Kevin, um, Canadian Review, Ottawa and Edmonton, they not great week for the Canadian ASL teams, I would say. Uh, the the Eddies lost 2-1 to Tampa Bay, a game uh, Stephen Sandor at the 11.C wrote wrote pretty extensively about the fact that no one could see the damn game too. Uh, it was like basically cut off and, and it was supposed to be available on TSN Go, but it wasn't. And then it was a big mess in the TV contract. So if you want to read a little bit about some of the problems they're having with the NASL TV contract, uh, direct you over to Stephen. Good article there. Uh, they lost 2-1, as I said. Uh, the Ottawa with another nil-nil. They've had a couple of those in recent days, uh, which – you know, half half empty, half full in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it's um, the end. It's becoming close to the end of the spring season. They need points to move forward to get a chance of being uh, in the top four. But just looking at it as a combined standings, both teams are in uh, eighth and ninth position with uh, ten points for Ottawa, nine points for Edmonton. They're only five points away or four for Ottawa from a playoff position at the end of the season. But they need to uh, get points and a nil-nil draw and a loss. It doesn't help them for now. There's only a handful of games left, not even. Yeah, in the spring season, they're, they're going to be down around that level, I would think. There, I, I think there's, both of these teams have some work to address and some things to address in in the closed season, that month where they're off between the, the fall and the spring season, if you want to consider it that way, second half. Uh, but at the same time, if you look at Ottawa, I think, Ottawa's probably happier with their position. Uh, they basically dragged themselves above Edmonton for the first time maybe ever. Uh, that's that's something that they can look at as a positive. Edmonton has to be the, one of the more frustrated teams in the league. Uh, you know, A lot of people thought they were going to be much higher up the standings right now. But as you said, only five points. That's hardly something that you, you can't overcome in the second half of the year, especially when it's longer. So we'll uh, – continue to watch that uh let's move past that right now though and uh talk about the perfect mls weekend um, undefeated canadian mls teams in the weekend let's start uh briefly with we're going to keep this somewhat tight we'll start briefly with with the white caps because uh, we never start with them first uh a big win over la and and i'd said this leading into it kevin that this was going to be really telling this road trip and uh, it's a statement game uh, to win off the top and you start to have to think and you know you can all look at me however you see 
see fit of their Vancouverites, uh, you have to start to, to think that maybe they are for real. Maybe they are a contending team if they're going to beat L.A. Now, uh, Robbie Keane played a, a lot of minutes in that game for the first time in a while. I do think L.A. is going to improve as the year goes on because history tells me that, and they're going to get Steven Gerrard soon too. Uh, but it, nonetheless, as I've said all year when I talk about the Whitecaps, points on the board can't be taken off. No, exactly. And yes, they had a a stumbling block in their road trip when they lost to Montreal in Montreal last Wednesday. But it doesn't matter because they continued getting points. And in the weekend, they did get the job done on the road. So another team that got the job done on the road, Montreal Impact, got their first road win since September 8th. 2013. Wow, almost two years ago. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's almost uh, uh, TFC-like. Well, TFC in the past, perhaps. Yeah, the, the former TFC, the old TFC. TFC 2.0. Um, although, maybe it's TFC 3.0. It gets very confusing because what was that Defoe thing last year? It's hard Who? to really what? figure that out. He's coming back. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, wow. Not to the team. He's not coming back to play for Toronto. He's coming back to play against Toronto. At least that's what the press release told me. Nice. Uh, let's talk about the impact, though. Uh, look, they, a couple wins in a row. Uh, I'll be honest. I Four was five. overwhelmed by, by the um, by the women on the weekend, so I didn't really have a chance to watch their games this weekend. But I did uh, did watch the, the Canadian Derby last week, and we didn't talk about it um, because it came out after the show. Uh what has been the key in your mind to the impacts uh, being able to turn things around in the last little while? Playing as a team, uh, players that are a little less selfish than they were a couple of games before. We talk about Piatti. I think the Piatti Romero connection on the pitch is really creating dividends for the impact. They're creating goals and they're creating results. I think a player like Maxime Tissot, which is slowly blooming with the team and really trying, making a case for being in that starting 11 out of left midfield uh, for a player that's been trained and formed as a defender slowly made his way up the field and now in the left midfield he has an attacking flair has a great type of speed but he he's good on the one-on-one duels so when he has the ball on the left flank he's able to create something out of it and get rid of the defender so I think the fact that he's for as a defender, he has a defender mindset. He can use that to anticipate what his cover is going to do. And I really like what Tiso's bringing to the team. And I think uh, the chemistry is getting better. The, the players together know that they can achieve results because of the CONCACAF Champions League run. And I think we're slowly seeing a more possession control midfield without being crazy possession it's just a little more but still get a chance to go on the counter so they get that identity that they forged in the last couple months that they can use in certain part of the game but they don't get burned because they uh, have to run after the ball for 90 minutes so i think they found maybe the the balance between the two identities I think that uh, Tiso is, you know, from a Canadian perspective, maybe the, the nicest story out of there yeah. uh, so far this year. Uh, interesting too that if you, this is not necessarily a good impact story, but when Matt uh, certainly coming back to form in New York, uh, you know that that's a nice story combined. That if you want to really connect it back to the uh, the younger impact kids, that's uh, saying that they're producing some good things there, Kevin. 
No, exactly. Another uh, the USL player of the one of the USL player of the team of the week last week is Victor Ndiaye from FC Montreal. So no, uh, the young kids from the academy are starting to perform at their higher level. And Tissot, I think Tissot has to be one of the best product ever of the academy with Wandrille Lafayette, who is playing great when he has a chance in the center back too, uh, next to Laurent Simon. So I think the defense has been a good story too. The amount of work they do in the air, especially on free kicks. They really establish a different presence on free kicks for Montreal, and I think it, it's paying off at the end of the day. A couple of goals scored this year, but especially not as much goal conceded on free kicks, and uh, that has to be one of the reasons as well why they got good result. Four out of the last five were wins, so 12 out of 15 points, not too shabby. Is it too soon to start talking about the possibility of a 4-1 Derby playoff series? Yes, it is too soon, but uh, who knows? Could be. All right. Uh, if that happens, though, wow. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, that might uh, that actually. It, it, okay, let's dream a little bit. <laughs> if they were to have that happen, I, I Montrealers do pretend to not care about the Toronto rivalry, but I think that they they would, based on my experience. That particularly in this particular context, do you, do you think that that was a game that they might even move move to a bigger setting in Montreal to try and sell tickets, especially if they had a, enough time to sell them? I mean, it could be a situation where you have to sell in five, six days, so that's a different gig. The, I don't, uh, yeah, or playoffs. what's better, what's more intimidating, a half full big O or a full Stad Saputo? That's the but thing I, too, right? It, it would draw attention in Montreal, though. Oh, I yeah. Would. It would First, be a crazy atmosphere, and I think it would, we would actually see on the pitch the the rivalry that we know exists between the supporters group. Um, but I think we would see it on the pitch for once because usually a team between Montreal and Toronto, they play each other, uh, each other. On the pitch, you don't see a great rivalry, but I think a playoff game could change that. Yeah, no one wants to hear this, but the front offices actually do work very closely together yeah, on a lot yeah. of different things. They so, change tickets. They yeah, give each other 5,000 tickets. They're they're kind of friends, but that's that's fine. It's neither here nor there. In the stands, it might not be the same way. I, I It would be the first... Uh, playoff series in any sport between I guess sorry I'm ignoring the CFL when I say this because of course the Argos and the Alouettes have played each other several times but okay we won't get into comments about where the CFL stands but it would be the but first playoff no supporters section it, it is, yeah it's not a series either there'd be two games if we're talking about that and it'd be the first one since 1978 so you know a little bit of a little bit of pent-up energy there if that were the case but we'll move on let's talk about Toronto we talked a lot with Duncan about Toronto so I'm not going to go into detail other than to say like Javinko my god <laughs> yeah like wow that, that's what I was, that's why I asked Duncan and I'll ask you the same question what did they change to involve him that much in the game, the last couple of games. What they were able to do to uh, get him on the ball more often? I think maybe it, it's just, it, it might have enough to do. And I mean, Bradley didn't play in the last game, but just having Bradley's change his role. And then when Bradley wasn't involved, uh, have the people that came in to play the same role, play the same way. It, it opens them up, allows them to focus a little bit more on, on the, you know, mopping up and, and controlling and getting the pass forward and it's just the ball is going through Javinko and it's also a lot to do with Javinko adjusting to the league he's adjusted faster than most players do when they come over here although that said um, when we look at the Italians that Montreal have brought in there hasn't been a huge adjustment period for either of them or any of no. them either so it could be uh, could be a message to the rest of the league to look to Italy for, for players uh, which is not necessarily an area that's been overly used in the past in MLS but uh, outside of Juvenco and DeVaio name me another impactful Italian on the league there's none yeah, well, when you look at both of those players coming in as DPs, and you know, I think Devile maybe stayed a year too long, but 
Uh, nonetheless, he was very effective, of course, coming in ran fairly quickly coming in. So that's that's something that's uh, that's an interesting little aside there. But uh, yeah, it, it's as much to do with with Javenko as it is to do with the rest of the team as well and with the tactics. I, I believe actually the more important aspect for all of TFC and envisioning all of TFC is they've just figured their back out a little bit more. They've been able to play uh, in a way that allows the creative players to trust that the back will take care of what it has to do to allow them to get into the positions that they need to get into to, to attack and go forward. You don't have a Bradley dropping back so far anymore when he's playing to like sweep up and be part of that. You can allow him to, to play more of a six role rather than try to play a sweeper role, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, He has been, and in, in my mind, because I look at the advanced numbers a lot, and it... When I say he's the best, at least so far, the best DP that's come into this league ever, I'm, that's not hyperbole. It's I'm looking at these like outrageous advanced numbers he's putting up. He's already almost the all-time – I think he's only three assists away from becoming their four, maybe the all-time TFC assist leader. <laughs> In like half a season. Yeah. No, like, I'm talking a single a year. I'm season. talking about – all-time assist leader. Okay, but I have um, to say that that assist leaderboard is quite small then. <laughs> the number yeah, must well, be it, quite low. And assists aren't always given out in every goal, so the assist numbers aren't that big. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it's just outrageous. And his shots per game are off the chart. He leads the league in shots per game. He leads the league in, you know, when I do the uh, shots, shots per 90 plus key passes, he's number one running away on that. Like, he is far and above any level of reasonable number that you've ever seen in MLS before. So the question then is, can he sustain? I just don't see anything to suggest he can't. He is a smaller guy, but he's not beat off the ball. He's not beat up in there. He's slippery. He works off both feet. That's the, that goal against DC. I, my God, the way he, <laughs> Jesus, the way he made the, the United defense, just like they're like, they're still looking for their underwear, right? Like they don't know what to hit them. And it's because he's so talented on both feet that they don't know what they do. They're and then it's gone. As long as he's playing at this level, you start to have to think about the unthinkable. That TFC is not just a playoff team, but they're a contending team, which is you know hard for anyone in this city, to, let to alone any, anyone outside. It's hard for people in Toronto to say it out loud because they don't want to believe it and they've been burned too many times before. It's hard for anyone outside of Toronto to say it because they just are so invested in the idea that TFC is a joke and they think it's hilarious that they don't want to lose their punchline. So it, it it's a very difficult concept to wrap your head around. And you know I think that's why when I – I look to American um, sort of opinion sometime on this a little bit just because there's Toronto is so wrapped up in bias both negatively and positively depending on where you are. And the Americans are like talking about TFC as a contender as well. I saw the X-Time Radio podcast said that they were maybe the favorites in the East two weeks ago. So that's where we're at, folks. No, exactly. Absolutely. So it's going to be interesting going forward. All right. And that 401 Derby playoff series is going to be uh, intriguing. Do you think it's a – what do you think? The Eastern final? <laughs> Can you imagine the Eastern final? And then it all then I will play the White Caps for the MLS Cup. That would that would that would go over well in the stage. Can you imagine John Gar- Don Garber standing there with gritted teeth, handing the trophy over? <laughs> uh, I thought we were gonna go to Ben Massey if that was gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, what was the the hashtag on the the uh, One Nation One Team the other day? Oh yeah, they got burned with that one too. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but uh, we'll leave. Two it nations, two team people. Two nations, two teams. For God's sakes, how many times do we have to get it through your head? I, I, 
What's the name of this podcast, Kevin? What's two solitudes. Two solitudes. And that's a double entendre how? Uh, well, two countries. For... Yeah, two countries. And also... You know, Wednesday we saw that yesterday. Like, okay, over two days ago. Like, before they press send, don't they know that they're going to hear about the 10 Canadians that always complain? So me, you, Duncan, and Vince. Yeah. <laughs> I was complaining. About, hey, there's two nations. Oh, hello. <laughs> It's like I was very calm. My first one, I, I my first tweet was like, "Oh, well, at least you're honest in how you operate." And then I was like, "You know what? No, <laughs> I'm gonna go at you now." Uh, and we're hosting the damn thing. Yes, yeah. I think this one in particular. So, yeah. Anyway, all right. <laughs> let's let's leave it well enough alone. One nation, one team. Canada. Uh, or that actually should have been the response. You're talking about the Canadian team, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Canada 2015 Five Rings Podcast Edition. You can uh, listen to this for your World Cup coverage with a a world perspective. Every game day has been uh, talked about so far with uh, the next one coming later today. So uh, until next time on the Two Solitudes, have a great soccer.